Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. I appreciate you hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show. CBS Sports Radio, radio.com, Sirius 206, at Danny Parkins on Twitter. Danny Parkins 1 on Instagram, 855-212-4227 is the number. We'll get back to your week two NFL calls in just a little bit, I want to discuss some big storylines that have affected this NFL season and uh, something we talked about a couple of weeks on the show and update the story. But uh, my executive producer, Ryan Hickey, pointed me in the direction of a thread on Twitter from Ty Schalter over at uh, 538. You know, on pace stuff through two games is take it with a grain of salt. But I was talking earlier in the show about how I think the Dolphins are a particular brand of bad and that, you know, the 08 uh, 08 Lions were awful, but it they weren't quitting. There wasn't a risk of mutiny. They weren't trading away players for draft picks and then having other players demand trades. Maybe the part of that was lack of social media. But just go with me here for a second. Say you buy into the premise that the Dolphins could be historically bad and not just because they're 0-16. Here is uh, some on-pace stats for your 2019 Miami Dolphins. Obviously, they are on pace to tie the worst record ever, 0-16 held by the 8 Lions and the 17 Browns. They are on pace to allow 816 points which would be the most ever, the previous record, 533, set by the 81 Baltimore Colts. Wow. So they're on pace to give up the most points ever by almost 300 points. Something tells me that'll come back. They're on pace to allow 96 touchdowns. Previous record is 68. Allow 464 first downs. The most ever, ironically, last year's Kansas City Chiefs. If you score a lot, you give up a lot of first downs. Makes sense. To score the fewest points in NFL history, the 2019 Dolphins are on pace for 80 points, fewest ever, 113 by the 82 Baltimore Colts. They are on pace to gain the fewest yards ever in a 16-game season by almost 400. They are on pace to tie the record for most interceptions thrown with the 1962 Houston Oilers with 48. They are on pace to average 3.523 yards gains per offensive play, which would be the least ever, dating back to the 1953 Green Bay Packers. They are on pace to gain only 32 first downs on the ground, by far the fewest ever. That's 92 is the record by the 2018 Bengals. They are on pace to allow the second most sacks ever. 
allow opponents to convert 59% of third downs, which would shatter the record of the 95 Browns, who only allowed 49% of third downs to be converted. And then it goes on and on and on and on. Basically, what he's saying is the Dolphins, to read directly from him, have been appalling at everything. They are on pace to be the worst the game has ever seen by basically every stat that we know how to count. There is not a single thing you can point to and say that they are doing at a competent level. That is Ty Shelter from 538. So when some of you guys think I'm all hyperbolic, I'm not a historian, but when I say this is the worst I've ever seen, and I tell you I was there to see the Owen uh, 15 Lions lose their 16th game in Lambeau Field, Dad and I drove up for the game. I'm here to tell you that this is honestly the worst thing I've ever seen in professional football. So they got that going for them, which is nice. In that game where I was exposed to a decent amount of the Dolphins today, I saw Antonio Brown. And I ran a poll on my Twitter account earlier in the week on uh, my radio show here in Chicago. I had said on this show before the season started that the biggest story of this NFL season would be Andrew Luck's retirement. I said there will not be a bigger story. And one week later, Antonio Brown started melting down. And it went from the feet to the helmet to the trade to the sexual assault allegations. And he ends up on the Patriots and he plays and he scores a touchdown today. And so I've gotten a lot of people texting my radio show, sending me messages on Instagram and Twitter, whatever, saying, ha, you were wrong. You said Andrew Luck, biggest story of the NFL. Ten days later, Antonio Brown surpassed it. And I think people are missing quantity of news stories with how I meant the word biggest news story of the year, which is significance. Antonio Brown is a circus. He is a soap opera. He is interesting. He is continuously relevant because he keeps talking to the media. He keeps playing. There keeps being new wrinkles. He's on a new team. He's still, you know, playing football. So there are more Antonio Brown stories, whereas Andrew Luck retired, held a press conference, And went away. So in terms of feeding the beast, Andrew Luck's news cycle has expired. But I'm not talking about number of articles when you Google them. I'm talking about which one means more. Which story is more significant? Antonio Brown ending up on the Patriots, and if this thing ends in a ring, it'll be a lot closer than I thought it could have been to that Andrew Luck story because that'll be amazing if he gets and helps Tom Brady win his seventh ring. But we've seen the Patriots be great. The Patriots were great before Antonio Brown got there. They're great with Antonio Brown. And if the league puts him on the commissioner exempt list or suspends him after meeting with his accuser tomorrow, the league offices in New York, then he'll be, they'll, they'll be great after he leaves. Antonio Brown is a 31-year-old wide receiver who has a couple more years left maximum of high-level football. 
Andrew Luck gave up nearly a quarter of a billion dollars in future earnings and had 10 years of dominant quarterback play in front of him. And it completely derailed a franchise that thought it had its decade plus answer at the most important position in team sports. And now they're starting Jacoby Brissett and Jacoby Brissett has been very good. So no shade, but he's not Andrew Luck and he's no one's quarterback of the future. Even if they did give him 15 million bucks over the next couple of years. So Antonio Brown, more stories, not bigger stories in my opinion. And when I say this, people are like, oh, I've already forgotten about Andrew Luck. Ask people in Indianapolis if they've forgotten about Andrew Luck. Because I'll tell you, in Pittsburgh, a lot of them are happy they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. A lot of people in Oakland, happy they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. We'll see if people in New England get to the point where they're happy they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. No one in Indianapolis is happy they don't have Andrew Luck anymore. That story shakes the league to its core. That story has ramifications of future players quitting. That story alters a franchise for a decade. Antonio Brown is a circus that admittedly is entertaining. And it's admittedly frustrating to watch him team up with the best team in the NFL and be able to power play his way there but that's not a more significant story than what Andrew Luck did. Jim Brown gave up an NFL career early. He was already a hall of famer. Gail Sayers gave up a career early, already a hall of famer. Calvin Johnson gave up a career early, already a hall of famer. Gronk gave up a career early, already a hall of famer. We've seen guys give up careers early before, but guys who were going to the hall of fame who said, eh, I'm the second favorite on the board to be MVP. My team is a top eight favorite to win the Super Bowl. If I play at the current pace that I'm playing at for another six years, I'll be in Canton giving up a Hall of Fame, a Super Bowl, and a shot at an MVP or a shot at least at all three and a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah, that's a bigger story. That's a more significant story for the league. 54% of people of thousands who voted on Twitter said Antonio Brown was a bigger story. Based on how I'll define big, which is significant, I'll take Andrew Luck over Antonio Brown. 855-212-4227 in our nation's capital. Chris wants to weigh in on one of our many NFL topics from today as we go over week two, and eventually we'll go and look ahead to week three coming up in a bit. But what's up, Chris? You're on CBS Sports Radio. What's up, brother? How are you doing this evening? I'm good, man. Yeah, I just wanted to um, just make a comment, man. It's not a agree or disagree type of thing, but the comparison that you had with Mahomes to, like, the, the great quarterbacks that you were naming, Steve yeah. Young, Tony Romo, things like that. Um, I think I, I feel the league. I love football to death. I've watched it a, a very long time, and I just feel that, the league is fabricated now, meaning quarterbacks and wide receivers can do as they please and do whatever it is they want to do. So it's way easier to put up big numbers. The defenses today cannot do what the defenses did back when Joe Montana played. And um, even Steve Young, even though Young came a little bit after Montana, those days the defenses could really 
touch and hit receivers. Nowadays, quarterback, uh, the, the receivers can, the, 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 the DBs cannot hit these guys. They're going to be scared to get a pass interference or, you know, they're either going to catch the ball. So I feel the league is kind of fabricated now to make it easier to do what Mahomes does. Not, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's an awesome well, yeah, listen, I, hold, but, I, want, I want you to respond here, Chris, because what you're saying is undeniably true, right? Quarterbacks are more protected than ever. Uh, it's harder to you, – there's no headhunting safety, right? So it's not as dangerous to go over the middle. Helmet-to-helmet contact. Uh, you can't be as physical with receivers. Yeah, it's easier to pass than it ever has been before. And we've, we're learning that passing is more advantageous than running. So like, the idea of like you got to run to set up the pass, the Chiefs had no running game today, and they still dominated off of their passing game. Like it, There's no question that Pat Mahomes is a product of his era. However, when he shatters all of these records – I don't know if we want to be in the business of minimizing him because it's not his fault when he was born. Like you're right. If you took Dan Marino and we put him in, you know, doc Brown's DeLorean from back to the future. And we dropped him in 2019, Dan Marino would be throwing for 400 yards a game and he'd be dominant, but he wasn't like, we can only evaluate what we have in front of us because Drew Brees is playing with these rules, right? Baker Mayfield's playing with these rules. Deshaun Watson's playing with these rules. And Pat Mahomes is lapping the field. So I hear you. You're right. But all of his peers today are playing in the same NFL. And he's a second-year starter, third-year in the league, 23-, 24-year-old kid, and he's dominating. Well, I, I, and I agree with that. But what, what it's coming around to, okay, it used to be a point in time where it took um, it, it it was a big it was it was a big deal or like a hard thing to for quarterbacks to pass for four thousand yards. Now quarterbacks do that in their sleep. So we're we're seeing like uh, it, it, the turning of football is coming. And me personally, I think and if the NFL even with the NBA now is geared towards the offense to put up points to bring in people and it it it, it, it caters to fantasy. You know, like yeah, like, like, abso- absolutely, exciting. man, like. It's um and I and I listen, we are in agreement and I appreciate your call. And whether or not you like it more or dislike it more, none of us can stop the way the world's spinning, right? Like that's just a product of it. Larry Bird, I think what the stat is that uh Steph Curry in a year attempted more threes than Larry Bird made in his career, I believe is the stat. Think about that for a second. That's insane. It's just totally different. NBA teams are shooting 40-plus threes a game now. Back when the Bulls were dominating the 90s, you had one three-point shooter on the court at a time. Oh, we got Craig Hodges. Now we got Steve Kerr. Now we got Judd Bushler. But only one at a time. Now if you have less than four guys on the court who can shoot threes, you're behind the eight ball. So the game changes. The game evolves. The game is going more offensive. Sports are going more offensive. Analytics are coming in. Like we've always had to adjust for era. That's not new in sports. Right? In baseball, there was a time when there were no black players. 
There was a time when the mound was a different height. There was a time when amphetamines were okay. There was a time when steroids, they looked the other way. Like there's a time with a corked bat or a juiced ball and all, all sorts of different things. So you adjust for era, the three point line, hand checking, helmet to helmet contact, all sorts of different things. But when I tell you Kurt Warner has the record for most passing yards through 20 games of an NFL career and Pat Mahomes breaks the record through 18 games, I'm, I'm interested because a lot of guys have come and gone since then, right? In a relatively comparable era of the NFL, Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Luck, a lot of guys, none of them did it. Mahomes is doing it. So well, you can use that as a knock if you want, but we have eyes. We're watching the game. We're seeing the arm talent. We're seeing the throws. We're seeing the stats. We're seeing the results. So to minimize, it feels like being a hater. Pointing out that the errors are different, totally fair and valid. Disliking this current era, totally fair and valid. But minimizing his accomplishments relative to his peers is straight up hating. First look ahead. You'll get the look ahead to week three before anyone else coming up. Then last but not least, it's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. So one of the things I love about the NFL is... All of the things that go with it for what I call sports enhancement, you know, steroids and performance enhancing drugs frowned upon sports enhancement for you and me. It's all good. Maybe sports enhancement is watching with your friends. Maybe it's watching with a platter of wings. Maybe it's watching with a couple of beers. Maybe it's uh, fantasy football. Maybe it's daily fantasy. Maybe it's survivor pools. Maybe it's betting games against the spread. Super Bowl props, whatever the case may be. I enjoy uh, adding a little something, something. I used to say about sports gambling that the beauty of sports gambling is it can make a meaningless game meaningful. And looking ahead to next week, I really think we're going to be in a situation here this year. I can't be the only one who has the Dolphins going 0-16. And I'm not the only one out here who's in a survivor pool. If you don't know what a survivor pool is, Say everybody uh, chips in 20 bucks, you get 50 people, there's a thousand bucks in the pot. You can take one team a week to win. If they lose, you're out. Last person standing or the last people standing who decide to split the pot, they get the money. So winner take all, or you can split it at the end if you reach an agreement. And you can't use a team more than once. You can't pick the Patriots every week to win. Once you pick the Patriots, you can't use them again. So it gets tougher and tougher as the year goes on because you use up the good teams. This year, I feel like a very common strategy in survivor pools is going to be picking against the Dolphins every week. Now, sometimes, right, they'll play the Patriots again. They'll play the Jets again. They'll play the Dolphins or they'll play. um, Why am I blanking? The Bills. They'll play the Bills again. But. There's going to be a lot of people that are just fading the Dolphins every week. And so as I look ahead to next week, it's already, it's getting ridiculous. The Cowboys right now at the Westgate Superbook, which is where the uh, 
super contest happens in Vegas. If you ever heard about that gambling contest, the Cowboys are 20 and a half point favorites at home against the Dolphins. So the Patriots were 19, 19 and a half point favorites in Miami. Dallas is at home, 20 and a half point favorite. Miami's not trying to win. Dallas is going to be a very popular survivor pick next week. The Patriots, 17 and a half point favorite against the Jets next week. The Patriots will be a very trendy, very popular survivor pick next week. But it gets complicated when one team is such a bad outlier there that you go. But today there were uh, there were a lot of really, really high profile marquee matchups that I liked. Next week, next week could get a little ugly if um if Cleveland lays an egg tomorrow night against the Jets. Next week's nationally televised games are not going to be nearly as juicy as Eagles Falcons was uh, tonight in the Sunday night game and Saints Rams was in the 425 Eastern time slot. Because next week you've got Rams Browns Sunday night football. If Cleveland stinks, that game is not going to have nearly the edge that it goes like if somehow the Jets win tomorrow night and then Monday night is Chicago Washington which is going to be a dog of a game because the bears can't move the football and score as I'm here in Chicago. But the most exciting one o'clock game next week, Baltimore KC Lamar Jackson against Pat Mahomes over under of 54 and a half. That game's got a chance to be like chiefs Rams from last year. That game should be an absolute shootout. Falcons Colts also a really appetizing 1 PM game. And then the rest of the slate, kind of ho-hum next week. You get Carolina, Cam Newton against Kyler Murray. That's not bad. 325 game that everyone will get will be uh, Saints-Seahawks. That game right now looks like it's a pick like a total toss-up. But we need Cleveland to be good. Cleveland is slated for five nationally televised games already. We need Cleveland to be good. We know they're going to be interesting. And I know a lot of people like watching a car crash, but I'm here for Baker Mayfield being relevant and Odell Beckham playing with a great quarterback. So I am uh, still somewhat bullish on the Browns, but I will admit that that's more heart than head because they basically built an all-star team. They got the skill position guys. They just forgot, you know, quality line play, but that game against Tennessee last week, I think was an outlier. Baker Mayfield threw three picks, got sacked five times, and they had over 180 yards in penalties. That's 7-2 offsuit in Texas Hold'em. It's the worst hand you could be dealt. There's no way they'll play that hand. They'll get that hand again and play it so poorly. I expect Cleveland to bounce back against the Jets and for that Rams-Browns game to at least be entertaining, though I do think the Rams are clearly the more talented team. Right now they're installed as a three-point road favorite. But yeah, the the national TV games, if that one's a stinker, because we got Tennessee Jacksonville on Thursday night and Chicago Washington on Monday night. So looking ahead early to next week, we need Rams and Browns to be good because those national games are terrible. This is the Danny Parkin Show. With time running out, we still have a few questions we didn't get answers to. Danny Parkins gives us his thoughts on a couple of different stories in this week's edition of Last But Not Least. 
So always a ton of things happen on these Sunday shows. We only get to do them once a week. Sometimes we miss things from during the week that we want to weigh in on. Other things from over the course of the day. These are basically just long NFL postgame show shows, which I love. I just watch football all day and then come in and talk about it for four hours with you. I should mention this is my second show of the day. If you guys are not familiar yet with uh, Radio.com's offerings, you better you bet. They do it from uh, 6 to 10 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. I'm not on it during the week, but on Sunday mornings, I am on the show during football season. It's me, Nick Costos, and uh, Ross Tucker. And we basically just go over every game from the fantasy and the gambling perspective for three hours starting at 9 a.m. Eastern until noon. So I did that three-hour show today, then this four-hour show tonight with about – Nine hours of football in between. So, hell of a day. Those are going to be my Sundays for the next 18, 19 Sundays, which is amazing for me, and I appreciate you guys all hanging out and uh, being loyal to the show. But we missed some things, which is why I turned it over to Ryan Hickey, my executive producer, to ask some questions. All right, Danny, we'll start off with some college football. Last or two nights ago, Clemson had another easy game. They beat, they beat Syracuse, alma mater, 41-6, to so I'm sure your wife is pretty pumped up about that. They get through the gauntlet, if you want to save their season, beating Texas A&M and now Syracuse. Two to three and on the year. Schedule's pretty easy the rest of the way. So let's say the worst thing happens, worst case scenario, they do lose a game to now and the end of the year. Are they still in the college world playoff with one loss? Yeah, they're locked up. And for anyone saying, why is Ryan Hickey talking about your wife? You shouldn't let him do that. No, we've talked about it on the show before. She's a Clemson alum. I'm a Cuse alum. We met watching the game. So kind of a big deal in our house. Uh, so yeah, she won the game. She won our bet. She lays the 28 points. She lays the spread for me every year. And, uh, Houston covered the last two. Didn't cover this one. Won it two years ago, but, um, yeah, Clemson's Clemson's not going to play a game in single digits until the playoff. And then even then I'm not sure if they will, because they were downright sloppy against Georgia tech. They won by 40. They were sleepwalking against Texas A&M. Should have won by 28, won by 14. And they absolutely dominated Syracuse. They were scoring with third stringers in the fourth quarter on the road. And A&M and Cuse, like you said, are their two toughest games. They'll be a four-touchdown favorite every game the rest of the way. Maybe someone pops up and is ranked 22nd or something like that later on in the season when they play, like maybe North Carolina. I don't know. But... The ACC is horrifyingly bad. And so their strength of schedule will not merit them making the playoff as a one-loss team. But because they've been in the playoff the last four years, they're the defending champs and the overall talent of the team and what their margin of victory is going to be, I do think a one-loss Clemson team will make the playoff. Obviously, there's a ton of games that need to happen between now and then. It'll largely depend on the strength of the resume of the other teams vying for the playoff. But... I don't know how you could watch college football and not see that there is Clemson and Bama gap, Georgia, very small gap, Oklahoma, and then everybody else. LSU really good. Ohio State's fine. Notre Dame's fine. But those are the teams that are the most talented teams in the country, and it's not close. So even though the ACC is complete trash this year, And even though they're already through the toughest part of their schedule and it wasn't that tough, yeah, Clemson will be in the playoff again. And frankly, you should want them in the playoff again. 
because they are by far the most talented team in the country. They just are. They got the best quarterback. They got the best running back. They've got three receivers who will be first round picks. They're just the four of the five offensive linemen return. They've lost two assistant coaches in four years. They just have continuity that no other juggernaut program in college sports has in the modern era. So you want them in the playoff because then if they lose in the playoff, you feel like the team that wins it actually went through the best. So yeah, even though the ACC isn't really preparing them, they'll be there. What's next? So with week two almost in the books, there are nine teams currently that are 2-0 to start the year. Now, as you mentioned earlier in the year, that's not a lock to make the playoffs. As just go back to last year, 2018, seven teams started 2-0 with only two of those uh, seven making the playoffs. So those nine teams this year, Patriots, Bills, Ravens, Chiefs, Cowboys, Packers, Rams, 49ers, and Seahawks. Which team is most likely to miss the playoffs? Which 2-0 team is most likely to miss the playoffs? Well, got to be honest with you. It feels like that would be either the San Francisco 49ers or the Buffalo Bills. Because we know the Bills aren't winning their division. So then they've got to get in as a wild card. And plenty of things can still play out there. Though I do really like what they're doing at Buffalo. I'm a big fan. Solid front seven. Josh Allen is in the Carson Wentz mold. Runner, mobile, tough, strong arm, hangs in the pocket. You can run RPOs with him. I'm a believer in what the Bills are doing. Same situation with the Niners in the NFC West. Rams are probably winning that division. Them or Seattle. They're a coin flip. San Francisco has had Cincy and Tampa. Two very unimpressive wins. They've Their margin of victory is great, but their opponents do nothing for me. I think that Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach. I think that it made sense to do with Garoppolo what they did, given their other options at quarterback. I think that they're building something nice on the offensive side of the ball. Bosa obviously will be a beast defensively, but that team's too young. That's too much too soon. So if I had to lean, if I had to give you one, I'd say San Francisco is the most likely 2-0 team with Buffalo not too far behind because of the respective divisions that they're in. So two weeks in, you're starting to get a, an idea sort of of how teams will look. And if you split it by conference and kind of power rank those teams, it's pretty stark doing to the AFC and the NFC. AFC, it's pretty easy to say the Chiefs and the Pats are better than everyone else in their conference. The NFC is interesting. You have five teams, 2-0 currently so far. A lot of teams seem pretty close together. So how would you power rank the NFC so far? So the NFC is much tougher to handicap. I agree with you. The Rams, because of their pedigree, I think deserve the top spot right now. Couple reasons. NFC champs from last year bring back largely the same team and Cooper Cup is healthy. And we see what that does, right? We know what Sean McVay does. It's not a it's not a it's like Novocaine. You give it time, it works every time. Sean McVay, he's not a mystery. He's just so good off of what he does, right? They run the most plays out of their base formation of any team in the league. Three receivers, tight end, running back, five offensive linemen, and a quarterback. But what they run off of it is incredible. And so when you put Cooper Cup in there, it's just 
They've got guys like New England, like short area quickness guys who get open immediately so you can snap and throw and get in rhythm and catch and runs with Cooks and, and Cup and then Gurley and Brown out of the backfield. It's just it's very, very, very potent. And I think that they, of the 2-0 teams in the NFC, have the best win getting the Saints today. But Green Bay is second. Now, Seattle winning in Pittsburgh is very impressive. But Green Bay winning in Chicago on the opener when home teams in that Thursday night opener were 14-3 and heading into that game and then bouncing back and beating a Vikings team who had dominated the Falcons the week before. Even though there are two close victories and the Packers offense is nowhere near locked in, you can see that it's more modern and that it's getting better. They're running guys in motion. They're doing more misdirection. They're modernizing Aaron Rodgers' offense. And it's taking time. It always takes time first year in a new system. But with the Hall of Fame guy like Aaron Rodgers, you figure it's going to be accelerated. But that Packers defense is good. Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos make up a very talented secondary. Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith upgrading their outside linebacker pass rush setting the edge. Kenny Clark, maybe the most underrated defensive player in the NFL, anchoring the D-line. It's a solid defense under Mike Pettin. With, I think, six new starters this year, two wins in the division, one home, one on the road. I'd go LA 1, Green Bay 2, and then I still need to see Dallas do it against the real team. So I'll give Seattle... The slight edge over Dallas, even though Dallas has been more impressive. I think that the teams they beat are awful. I think Washington's awful and New York is worse. So two division wins, very impressive. Two blowout wins, impressive. But I think the caliber of the opponents are so bad. I want to see do it. Let's see. What's what's Dallas's upcoming? Because they got Miami this week. So it gets interesting for Dallas after this week, depending on what the Drew Brees injury is. If Drew Brees' injury is serious, Dallas could just get an unbelievable break with the schedule. Home against Miami for week three, then at New Orleans, then home against the Packers. That'll be a great game. Then at the Jets. Dallas, if Drew Brees is hurt, could be looking at a 5-1 and one start, which would be very nice. But right now... Dallas, I have is four. So I'd go Rams, one, Packers, two, Seahawks, three, Cowboys, four. But the NFC is wide open. I think Atlanta will still make noise. I think the Saints will still make noise. And I think the Bears and Vikings are still going to make noise. The the NFC is wide open. The AFC, man, I think it's a two-team conference. It's kind of pathetic, but... I think Patriots and Chiefs, I will be, you know, there'd have to be a devastating injury for me to not think that that's your AFC title game. And I do really like Baltimore, but I think Patriots and Chiefs are head and shoulders above the rest of that conference. We got time for one more, Ryan? Yeah, we'll squeeze one in real quick. A little basketball, FIBA World Cup in the books. Spain is your champion, but Team USA got a lot of headlines finishing in seventh place, their worst finish ever at the FIBA World Cup. So does losing in the World Cup matter to you at all? Not really uh, to me personally. It's definitely an embarrassment for Team USA. I don't care what Greg Popovich says. But last year's 
Last time Team USA got together, 31 of those 35 guys were not a part of this team. Because remember, there are multiple Team USAs in terms of invitations and all of that. So this was a young team that hadn't played together, that didn't have a lot of international experience, and they est the bed. But a FIBA World Championship is not anywhere near what an Olympic gold medal is. You lose in the Olympics, huge deal. You lose in the FIBA World Championships, embarrassing, because you would think, oh, Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell, you think that's good enough. International basketball is awesome. They're grown-ass men who played together for a long time, who are familiar with the rules, and it's their Super Bowl playing against Team USA. It's the biggest game that they'll play. So international ball is no joke. It's why I said Luka Doncic should have been the number one overall pick in his year. He was the EuroLeague player of the year when he was 17 and 18. And people were like, I don't know. What about these college kids? College basketball doesn't approach international basketball. So don't sleep on that. It's, it's not a, it's not embarrassing given the team they fielded. It's just potentially worrisome because you can go back like 16 years they weren't fielding very good teams, and it is in play that the U.S. could lose in the World Cup, or excuse me, in the Olympics. So you gotta you gotta have a little bit of pride for Team USA in Olympic years. But this one, no big deal. I will say, Jalen Brown and Donovan Mitchell looked really good, and there is plenty of precedent for guys balling out on Team USA settings and then having that transfer over into uh, the NBA season. I'd be very excited if I was a Celtics or a Jazz fan off of those performances. Thank you to Peter Schwartz for the updates. Ryan Hickey handled the production today. Therese Paler was my guest. Kevin Wall and Dave Edinger kept me on the air. My name is Danny Parkins. This is the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.